Section twenty nine of Ulysses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Kath Gard. Ulysses by James Joyce. Part two. The Odyssey. Episode thirteen. Nausicaa. Part two. Madcap sis with the gollywog curls. You had to laugh at her sometimes. For instance, when she asked you would you have some more Chinese tea and jasbury ram, and when she drew the jugs too, and the men's faces on her nails with red ink make you split your sides, or when she wanted to go where you know she said she wanted to run and pay a visit to the Miss White. That was just like Sissicums. Oh, and will you ever forget her the evening she dressed up in her father's suit and hat and the burned cork moustache and walked down Tritonville Road smoking a cigarette? There was none to come up to her for fun. But she was sincerity itself, one of the bravest and truest hearts heaven ever made, not one of your two-faced things, too sweet to be wholesome. And then there came out upon the air the sound of voices and the pealing anthem of the organ. It was the men's temperance retreat, conducted by the missioner, the Reverend John Hughes, S.J., rosary, sermon, and benediction of the most blessed sacrament. They were there gathered together without distinction of social class, and a most edifying spectacle it was to see, in that simple fane beside the waves, after the storms of this weary world, kneeling before the feet of the Immaculate, reciting the litany of Our Lady of Loretto, beseeching her to intercede for them the old familiar words, Holy Mary, Holy Virgin of Virgins. How sad to poor Gertie's ears! Had her father only avoided the clutches of the demon drink by taking the pledge, or those powders the drink habit cured in Pearson's Weekly, she might now be rolling in her carriage second to none. Over and over had she told herself that, as she mused by the dying embers in a brown study without the lamp because she hated two lights, or oftentimes gazing out of the window dreamily by the hour at the rain falling on the rusty bucket, thinking. But that vile decoction which has ruined so many hearths and homes had kissed its shadow over her childhood days, Nay, she had even witnessed in the home circle deeds of violence caused by intemperance, and had seen her own father, a prey to the fumes of intoxication, forget himself completely. For if there was one thing of all things that Gertie knew, it was that the man who lifts his hand to a woman, save in the way of kindness, deserves to be branded as the lowest of the low. And still the voices sang in supplication to the Virgin most powerful, Virgin most merciful. And Gertie, wrapped in thought, scarce saw or heard her companions, or the twins at their boyish gambols, or the gentleman of Sandy Mount Green that Sissy Caffrey called the man that was so like himself passing along the strand taking a short walk. You never saw him any way screwed but still, and for all that she would not like him for a father because he was too old or something, 
or on account of his face, it was a palpable case of Dr. Fell, or his carbuncly nose with the pimples on it, and his sandy moustache a bit white under his nose. Poor father! With all his faults she loved him still when he sang Tell me, Mary, how to woo thee, or My love and cottage near Rochelle, and they had stewed cockles and lettuce with Lazenby's salad dressing for supper. And when he sang The Moon Hath Raised with Mr. Dignam that died suddenly and was buried, God have mercy on him, from a stroke. Her mother's birthday that was, and Charlie was home on his holidays, and Tom and Mr. Dignam and Mrs. and Patsy and Freddie Dignam and they were to have had a group taken. No one would have thought the end was so near. Now he was laid to rest. And her mother said to him to let that be a warning to him for the rest of his days, and he couldn't even go to the funeral on account of the gout. And she had to go into town to bring him the letters and samples from his office about Catesby's court lino, artistic, standard designs, fit for a palace, gives tip-top wear and always bright and cheery in the home. A sterling good daughter was Gertie, just like a second mother in the house. A ministering angel, too, with a little heart worth its weight in gold. And when her mother had those raging, splitting headaches, who was it rubbed the menthol cone on her forehead but Gertie, though she didn't like her mother's taking pinches of snuff, and that was the only single thing they ever had words about, taking snuff. Everyone thought the world of her for her gentle ways. It was Gertie who turned off the gas at the main every night, and it was Gertie who tacked up on the wall of that place where she never forgot every fortnight the chlorate of lime, Mr Tanny the Grocer's Christmas Almanac, the picture of halcyon days, where a young gentleman, in the costume they used to wear then with a three-cornered hat, was offering a bunch of flowers to his lady-love, with old-time chivalry, through her lattice window. You could see there was a story behind it. The colours were done something lovely. She was in a soft, clinging white, in a studied attitude and the gentleman was in chocolate, and he looked a thorough aristocrat. She often looked at them dreamily when she went there for a certain purpose, and felt her own arms that were white and soft, just like hers, with the sleeves back, and thought about those times, because she had found out in Walker's pronouncing dictionary that belonged to Grandpapa Giltrap about the halcyon days what they meant. The twins were now playing in the most approved brotherly fashion, till at last Master Jackie, who was really as bold as brass, there was no getting behind that, deliberately kicked the ball as hard as ever he could down towards the seaweedy rocks. Needless to say, poor Tommy was not slow to voice his dismay, but luckily the gentleman in black, who was sitting there by himself, came gallantly to the rescue and intercepted the ball. Our two champions claimed their plaything with lusty cries, and to avoid trouble, Sissy Caffrey called to the gentleman to throw it to her, please. The gentleman aimed the ball once or twice, and then threw it up the strand towards Sissy Caffrey, but it rolled down the slope and stopped right under Gertie's skirt near the little pool by the rock. The twins clamoured again for it, and Sissy told her to kick it away and let them fight for it, so Gertie drew back her foot, but she wished their stupid ball hadn't come rolling down to her, and she gave a kick, but she missed, and Edie and Sissy laughed. If you fail, try again, Edie Boardman said. 
Gertie smiled assent and bit her lip. A delicate pink crept into her pretty cheek, but she was determined to let them see, so she just lifted her skirt a little, but just enough, and took good aim, and gave the ball a jolly good kick, and it went ever so far, and the two twins after it, down towards the shingle. Pure jealousy, of course, it was nothing else to draw attention on account of the gentleman opposite looking. She felt the warm flush, a danger signal always with Gertie McDowell, surging and flaming into her cheek. Till then they had only exchanged glances of the most casual, but now under the brim of a new hat she ventured a look at him, and the face that met her gaze there in the twilight, wan and strangely drawn, seemed to her the saddest she had ever seen. Through the open window of the church the fragrant incense was wafted, and with it the fragrant names of her who was conceived without stain of original sin, spiritual vessel, pray for us, honourable vessel, pray for us, vessel of singular devotion, pray for us, mystical rose. And careworn hearts were there, and toilers for their daily bread, and many who had erred and wandered, their eyes wet with contrition, but for all that bright with hope, for the Reverend Father, Father Hughes, had told them what the great St Bernard said in his famous prayer of Mary, the most pious virgin's intercessory power, that it was not recorded in any age that those who implored her powerful protection were ever abandoned by her. The twins were now playing again, Right merrily for the troubles of childhood are but as fleeting summer shadows. Sissy Caffrey played with baby Boardman till he crowed with glee, clapping baby hands in air. Peep! she cried behind the hood of the push car, and Edie asked where was Sissy gone? And then Sissy popped up her head and cried, Ah! And my word, didn't the little chap enjoy that? And then she told him to say, Papa! Say papa, baby. Say papa, papa, papa. And baby did his level best to say it, for he was very intelligent for eleven months, everyone said, and big for his age, and the picture of health, a perfect little bunch of love, and he would certainly turn out to be something great, they said. Ha-cha-cha-cha-ha-cha. Sissy wiped his little mouth with the dribbling bib and wanted him to sit up properly and say pa-pa-pa. But when she undid the strap, she cried out, Holy St. Dennis, that he was possing wet and to double the half-blanket the other way under him. Of course, his infant majesty was most obstreperous at such toilet formalities and he let everyone know it. Ha-pa-pa! and two great big lovely big tears coursing down his cheeks it was all no use soothing him with no 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 baby no and telling him about the gigi and where was the puff puff but sis always ready-witted gave him in his mouth the teat of the sucking bottle and the young heathen was quickly appeased. Gertie wished to goodness they would take their squalling baby home out of that and not get on her nerves, no hour to be out, and the little brats of twins. 
she gazed out towards the distant sea. It was like the paintings that man used to do on the pavement with all the coloured chalks, and such a pity too leaving them there to be all blotted out, the evening and the clouds coming out, and the bailey light on Howth, and to hear the music like that, and the perfume of those incense they burned in the church, like a kind of waft. And while she gazed, her heart went pit-a-pat. Yes, it was her he was looking at, and there was meaning in his look. His eyes burned into her, as though they would search her through and through, read her very soul. Wonderful eyes they were, superbly expressive, but could you trust them? People were so queer. She could see at once by his dark eyes and his pale intellectual face that he was a foreigner, the image of the photo she had of Martin Harvey, the matinee idol, only for the moustache, which she preferred, because she wasn't stage-struck like Winnie Rippingham, that wanted they too to always dress the same on account of a play, but she could not see whether he had an aquiline nose or a slightly retrousse from where he was sitting. He was in deep mourning, she could see that, and the story of a haunting sorrow was written on his face. She would have given worlds to know what it was. He was looking up so intently, so still, and he saw her kick the ball, and perhaps he could see the bright steel buckles of her shoes if she swung them like that thoughtfully with the toes down. She was glad that something told her to put on the transparent stockings, thinking Reggie Wiley might be out, but that was far away. Here was that of which she had so often dreamed, it was he who mattered, and there was joy on her face, because she wanted him, because she felt instinctively that he was like no one else. The very heart of the girl-woman went out to him, her dream husband, because she knew on the instant it was him. If he had suffered, more sinned against than sinning, or even, even if he had been himself a sinner, a wicked man, she cared not. Even if he was a Protestant or Methodist, she could convert him easily if he truly loved her. There were wounds that wanted healing with heart balm. She was a womanly woman, not like other flighty girls, unfeminine he had known, those cyclists showing off what they hadn't got. And she just yearned to know all, to forgive all if she could make him fall in love with her, make him forget the memory of the past. Then, mayhap, he would embrace her gently, like a real man, crushing her soft body to him, and love her, his ownest girlie, for herself alone. Refuge of sinners, comforters of the afflicted, aura pro nobis. Well has it been said that whosoever prays to her with faith and constancy can never be lost or cast away. And fitly is she too a haven of refuge for the afflicted because of the seven dollars which transpierced her own heart. Gertie could picture the whole scene in the church, the stained glass windows lighted up, the candles, the flowers and the blue banners of the Blessed Virgin's sodality, and Father Conroy was helping Canon O'Hanlon at the altar, carrying things in and out with his eyes cast down. He looked almost a saint and his confession box was so quiet and clean and dark, and his hands were just like white wax, and if ever she became a Dominican nun in their white habit, perhaps he might come to the convent for the novena of St. Dominic. 
He told her that time when she told him about that in confession, crimsoning up to the roots of her hair for fear he could see, not to be troubled because that was only the voice of nature, and we were all subject to nature's laws, he said, in this life, and that that was no sin because that came from the nature of woman instituted by God, he said, and that our blessed lady herself said to the archangel Gabriel, be it done unto me according to thy word. He was so kind and holy, and often and often she thought and thought, could she work a rouge tea cosy with embroidered floral design for him as a present, or a clock? But they had a clock, she noticed, on the mantelpiece, white and gold, with a canary bird that came out of a little house to tell the time the day she went there about the flowers for the forty hours adoration, because it was hard to know what sort of a present to give or perhaps an album of illuminated views of Dublin or some place. End of section 29